0: Welcome to Opposable Thumbs. Opposable Thumbs is a podcast where Taylor and Rob tackle a new creative challenge every two weeks and talk about our accomplishments, failures, and lessons learned. Periscope is our challenge this episode. Thanks to Ranjit Bhatnagar for the challenge, previous guest Ranjit. My name is Rob Ray. I use the he, his gender pronoun, and I'm a designer and run the exoskeleton art space here in Los Angeles.
1: Oh, uh, that's me. I'm Taylor Hokinson. I'm an artist of... uh evangelist of some type What like a what am i an evangelist camera <laughs> enthusiast noted tall person i'm a he his kind of guy
2: and i'm amy linners i use the she her pronouns um i'm an artist and educator in chicago um i'm also the co-owner of, of fata morgana press um a printmaking paper making and interdisciplinary craft space
1: Woo-hoo. and then Welcome, i'm amy. getting um uh, Amy, just FYI, you sound best when you're right up on the mic. Okay. Because um, y- you have one that's a non-headset, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. So if you get eat the mic, as as they say, you okay. can get right on there. Sounds great. Cool. Um, so, Amy, right, right off the top, I um, were I to try to write out the name of your press, I think I would be hard-pressed to do so. Oh. <laughs> mm, hey, let's just man. make it just like... Like that's all, folks. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> but the uh, but could you spell that out so that people could look it up?
2: Yes, it's F A T A M O R G A N A Press.
1: And where does the name come from?
2: Morgan le Fay was a character in like Arthurian legend. She was King Arthur's sister, and she was like oh. this uh, cool sea witch that uh, appeared in a floating castle, and uh, she lured sailors to their deaths. Um but it 's also a mirage that 's seen uh, between the straits of Messina i believe um but it 's this like phenomenon that happens where ships are projected above themselves and they kind of like in like a mirror fashion, and they sort of look like mountains or floating castles on the sea it 's actually three of us it 's three mm-hmm. women um me. Mary Claire Butler and Angela Davis-Fegan, we all went to grad school together, and then we started amassing large chunks of equipment, Um, Mm -hmm. and it's just sort of, like, always been moving and shifting, and we're always trying to settle into, like, what we are, but we've kind of settled into the fact that it's okay for us to morph as we, like, change and grow, Um, so we're kind of, like, identifying with that sort of shape-shifter, like, um, moving... Bodies of water kind of flow situation.
0: It's a letterpress printing and offset as well?
2: Yeah, we have letterpress printing. We have a Vandercook Universal One. Uh, we also have a small offset press. Um, it's an AB Dick 360 one color offset press. Um, wow. We have like a full, you know, bindery setup and we do paper making on the roof. Uh, we're actually teaching a papermaking workshop this weekend. We're just starting to like launch into workshops and um starting to sort of set curriculum surrounding all of our equipment. Awesome, that's <laughs>
0: great. Yeah, yeah. Y- you take on projects as a collective, the three of you, is that am I thinking about that correctly?
2: Yeah, so we we sort of uh run as like a co-op structure. Uh-huh. Um so we each have our personal practices based out of that location. Um we're all like active studio artists. Um One person, Mary Claire Butler, takes on graphic design clients, so she runs, like, a boutique firm out of the um, press space. Um, Angela Davis-Vegan has just her her private practice. Um, She has a very um, active art practice right now, and I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. Um, I do job work. I do my own work, and then we, all three of us, come together to support our workshop structure and do, like, community outreach kind of stuff.
0: Oh, that's cool.
1: So you've got a a standard 40 hour job that's not this, but then also you have a creative practice that is in part enabled by this, but there's teaching and all this other job work. I'm just always so interested to hear about how other creative people organize their time because I find that to be so challenging. So so what percentage of your creative practice do you guys find um, satisfying or like explicitly enjoyable?
2: I actually think it's a very small percentage. Um because <laughs> mm-hmm. most of my work right. is based in printmaking and mm-hmm. Taylor, I know you've dabbled. Um so you might understand yeah. this, but most of printmaking is like troubleshooting and setup and matrix building and reworking and fixing everything and going back and starting over and then finally when you get to print and you're like, yeah. "Man, I I love printmaking." It's over. Uh-huh. It's like uh-huh. especially like I'm using like semi automated presses. Like I'm using a, right. a letter press which is still hand cranked, but it's like self-inking and it has a drive system. So it's like I could be done with a run of a hundred in like a half hour or less. So the actual act when you like get in the zone and you're like cranking stuff out is like so small compared to all of the build up.
0: Pretty brief, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. And the buildup is just riddled with anxiety.
1: <laughs> so the the enjoyable part for you, though, is not the generation of content. It's the manipulation of the device that's that's popping the prints out.
2: I think that's like the most enjoyable part because it's the part where you can just like ride on your skill set a little bit. Like it's repetitive. It's a little bit meditative. Um, yeah. You can kind of like consider all the work that you've done at that point. Um but yeah. there's there's so many things you run up against to get to that point. it's just yeah. it's it's enjoyable, but like in a different sort of like uh anxiety riddled sort of way mm-hmm. Rob that
1: sounds like what you were talking about last week right what's what's your enjoyment moment in, in all this in all this process?
0: there's those aha moments at at the what feels like about a third of at the time it feels like a third of the way into the project but probably it's like a a tenth of the way into the project (laughs) um where you're where like you're like i've got it i've got it and you're you're tapping into things you totally know you know and at the same time easily absorbing new thinking that you're doing you know and like synthesizing this exciting thing that maybe you haven't done before but you were just like i've got it i've got that's the thing and then being like i can see the path you know, a million things will go wrong and then (laughs) afterwards, but, but like there's those moments when you're just like, I wanted to figure out a new thing and I figured it out and I still don't know how it's all going to work, but like, I think I've, I think I, I've got it and that like anxiety level drops and it turns into excitement and that those moments to me at the beginning of a project are are really great. The finishing of a project is almost never satisfactory. Amy, I'm in that same realm, even though my practice is different. I don't, I don't have that moment where you sit back and you're like, "Yep, there it is." You know, <laughs> you know, I do yeah. have I do have um I will say though I do have moments. There are things I've made that like I do wake up the next morning and want to go look at it, you know? And that's yeah. like really fun to be like, "I'm going to mm-hmm. go look at it." And like there like, go. Oh! But like the like classic storyline of like the artist making their last brushstroke and being like, "There it is," you know, it just doesn't <laughs> exist to me. It's just like I was probably like half eating a, a bowl of soup that was hot two hours ago, and then like knocked over a cup of coffee, and then decided I'm done because I got to go do something else. <laughs> you know, like it just like yeah. isn't, yeah, doesn't work like that before. But
1: well, I think it's interesting that it sounds like Amy's big satisfaction is at the last part, and yours tends to be in the earlier part. Is that fair?
0: Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But yeah, I'll, I'll build these kind of systems. I'll have this idea in my head that, and, and this relates a lot to this week's challenge where I can frame this particular problem and I can see through to the solution. Like I know that the solution must exist in a certain abstract way. And then finding out how to technically match what I know to be true, but in a really, in a practical and down to earth way but it's weird. Like I, I don't necessarily find satisfaction in there at all until I get it. And then I'll have these moments of like, I knew it. And then it's as brief as that thought. And then it's just instantly on to the next thing. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been trying to do this thing where instead of working, um, telling myself like today I have eight hours before I absolutely have to leave to pick up my kid, I would say something like, I really want to get this particular, you know, there's like a bunch of little stuff that you say, I want to get this chunk of the project established. And then if I get it done early, I just need to stop. And then I need to sit with that. Like that was a big success. And now I'm not going to work on it anymore until tomorrow morning. And then that's kind of how I can get Rob's thing of like, Oh, I'm really excited to sit back down and then, you know, leap off from a really solid place Mm -hmm. as opposed to just grinding and grinding and always finishing in the middle. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've been trying to find my way to that, but I'm not, I'm not necessarily that good at it.
0: <laughs> Amy, I, I, have, I have a question for you. I have two okay. questions for you, but, but I have I, do, I have two questions for you, I guess. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll ask the, the process and making question first, which is you make paper as well as being a printmaker. Is that right? Yes. I assume there's like an interrelationship between the paper that you would make and the printing that you would do on it. And then also your own ideas, right, about like what you want to be making. And I was just curious about how all three congeal and come together to create the final thing.
2: So my paper making practice is um, its definitely linked to my printmaking practice, but sometimes I feel like they're almost like two separate bodies of work. Okay. okay. Um, I definitely got into paper making via printmaking, um, because I was interested in like controlling the substrates that I was printing on
0: right right, yeah. um,
2: like changing thicknesses and how that um, how that interacts with your matrix and all that kind of stuff um, so that's why I got into paper making because I wanted to I was sort of obsessed with like controlling every aspect of the process from start to finish yeah, um, yeah. but then I realized that um, like Handmade paper has like it's it's diverged from its like original the original point. Like we have machine manufactured papers, we have like mm-hmm. high quality mm-hmm. printmaking papers that are definitely uh, much easier to use. They're more mm-hmm. like regular, dependable, you know, all that stuff. Um, so it's my papermaking practice to me has become sort of like a does this need to be handmade paper? in my print work. Mm-hmm. I've done lots of like work with like my own clothing and bed sheets and collecting, um, like heirloom materials. Um, I've done projects for other people, like pulping, like clothes from loved ones that have passed away and, um, creating work out of that, oh, wow. um, print works out of that.
1: We got to hear that. That one.
2: <laughs> yeah. So the, the making process, basically if, uh, you can pulp anything that is a cellulose fiber base, um, so cotton, linen, um, nothing, mm. nothing synthetic, or, and nothing protein. So no, like okay. silk or or um, um, wool, anything like that will mm-hmm. just felt. Mm.
1: Um, wool is a protein.
2: Yeah, it's a I hair.
1: I yeah, learn, learn something every day. Totally. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. So if you put those things into a paper beater, it'll just turn into like a big piece of felt. Um. So I gather uh, someone's father passed away, kind of um, like unexpectedly and in a sort of violent way, um, and they were going through like um, some like therapy sessions to kind of cope with that. And she wanted, like, a journal made from her father's old T-shirts. So she gave me, like, stacks of his old clothing. um, And we picked out, like, colors. Um, Pulping is kind of cool because you can kind of, like, apply all your color theory knowledge. And it's just, like, mixing paint. So you, like, put in a yellow T-shirt and a red T-shirt and you get orange pulp. Um, So we were kind of manipulating the colorways and stuff like that. And I um, bound like a few large journals for her um, out of her father's T-shirts.
1: That is way cool, man.
0: That's really cool. Yeah. Should we dive into projects?
1: Let's do it. Yeah. Sure. So um, take a take a gander at this uh, at this zip file.
0: Amy, do you see this thing that I'm I do. seeing? This, yeah. How, how would you describe that?
2: Um, <laughs> it looks like a cell splitting apart, like a it red does. cell yes. on a completely black background. But it's flat red. It's not like a microscope picture or anything. Yeah. Um, and it's just, yeah. of course, it's a GIF, so it's just like pulsing.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's like a round, I think of it as like a red round disc that sort of elongates into a Capsule shape and then starts to pull apart. Amy, to your point, mm-hmm. like cell division, right? And yeah. it and it's almost it's sort of starting to separate into two things, and then the GIF starts over again. So that, mm-hmm. and then well, actually, yeah, the GIF it goes backwards and then like rewinds back to the beginning red circle. And so we don't have too much to go on at this point, but Mm-mm. it is Cut titled it that, "Blood Blood.gif." So that mm-hmm. could be an interesting. I'm feeling... Um, what is it? The humors? What is it? Thing, what do they call blood? Hemoglo- hemoglobin? No, dang it, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. hemoglobin. Sunday. Yeah,
1: cool. H- humors, if it's like 400 years ago. Yes, the humors. Right. Is- <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, the next okay. thing we have is a gift called tooth underscore square. Oh, Amy, what do you see there?
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, similar, but now it's mm-hmm. three white discs. But mm-hmm. um, well, I guess I don't know It starts kind of as a square And then mm-hmm. separates into three white discs
0: If you pumped up a, a square With a bike pump It would get sort of round and bulbous
2: mm-hmm. and,
0: <laughs> and then it sort of Deflates And when it deflates It deflates into three circles Into a triangle One on the top and two on the bottom mm-hmm. And then those circles recede into the distance Until we can't see them anymore Then the whole thing starts mm-hmm. over again Feels very quote unquote organic But also made on the computer.
1: So before you guys look at the video, which will just kind of answer all the questions, do you have? Can you take a guess at what the um, organizing principle is here? You know what the two animations have in common? The body. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Keep it coming. Uh,
2: Um, Let me pull up blood again. Let's see.
1: Yeah, blood might be a little easier to figure out. And Amy's kind of got a window into this. I mean, Rob, you do too actually. Both both of you have I already seen hints about this.
2: Mm. I feel like tooth is a like a top-down splicing.
0: Oh.
2: of like a three-dimensional image. There
0: you go. You, you got it. Oh, Amy. Oh my gosh, totally. Yep.
2: The top square being kind of round and then separating into three roots. Yes. Um
0: Yes, the very beginning of the experience of the GIF is this rounded square, which would be the crown, the top of the crown of the tooth. And then if you were to slice that tooth down into, say, 100 slices or something, right, you would get to the three roots, which are separate independent bodies that are round, which is Mm -hmm. creating those three round disks. And so Mm -hmm. it does feel like for sure we are starting at the top of the object and slicing down to the bottom of it but the blood one is a bit mysterious. Mm-hmm. Yes. Taylor, thank you for thank you for suggesting we pause on that. Yeah, for sure. You wanna take Amy, a look at the video? Yeah, so Amy, often with yeah. videos, we'll load it up and then we'll do a three, two, one play and that way we know we're all watching it at roughly the same okay. time frame. I'll, I'll watch it with you guys. Three, two, one, play. Hmm. I see on the left-hand side some sort of CAD tool. And it's one of those CAD tools where every single feature has a different icon, so it's a nest of icons. Right? It's like like probably SolidWorks or something like that. Oh oh right, Rhino. It's I Rhino. see Rhino yeah. five on the top left. Oh oh, and on the right there's this tool called Grasshopper, which I know from Chris Riley, who was a previous guest. I mean, I need I may need to rewind it and watch it again. If that's okay Yeah, here. that's fine. Uh, three, two, one,
2: play. It's creating kind of like a. A big donut shape in Rhino. Yep. yep. Um so I'm I'm assuming we're we're going with like a red blood cell kinda shape.
0: Uh-huh. 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 Yep.
2: Um, I'm not familiar with Grasshopper. Not yeah, I'm really not either. Sure. It looks like
0: a kind of max MSP style thing where you have these little like chunks of code or process or something and you string them together into like a what they yeah. what I think of as like a four GL, like a fourth generation programming language. Which what Whoa! Was, I've never even heard that term before. Yeah, that was like the 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 promise back in the day was that programming languages become 4GL, which means they would be like visual in nature, and you would like like Max MSP, you would sort of be able to drag and drop the components to create components, and then like you would you would create these sort of modular synth almost objects that that, that you know. Maximus P does successfully do, and this is takes a similar approach, it seems like.
1: This part's pretty opaque, so just to give you guys a, a quick rundown. Sure, um, yeah, yeah. So exactly what Rob's describing is Grasshopper lets you take um, these different parametric changes you would want to make. So, for example, you can uh, start from a piece of geometry in Rhino and then feed it into a component where you say, let's run contours. And one of the inputs on the contours component might be how frequently those um, contours happen. So you might say, you know, they're one millimeter apart as opposed to four or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then the output from that can go into a new component, which can collect all of those contours into a tree data structure. And then you can mess around with that data structure and and do things as I've done, which is to make planar surfaces based on those slices. And then it brings in custom components. So it's using the V-Ray renderer And this um, custom thing this guy wrote called G-Ray, or Gray, which makes it hard to Google. Uh Um, (laughs) And uh, didn't think ahead on that one. And so basically, I've been working on this project, Amy, that I've talked about in a number of podcasts in a row. And so I'm taking uh, digital objects and slices of those objects and then playing them sequentially on a monitor while taking a long exposure photograph while the monitor is moving. Okay. Right, So I can kind of re- rebuild a 3D model in space in a quasi-virtual, quasi-it-was-actually-there manner. Cool. Um, but the problem then, thanks, the problem is when I put something on the sled, I don't have absolute control of the speed. So if I put something there and then play it and everything looks kind of squashed, it's not like I can just speed the motor up because it's a relatively small motor or a slow motor. So I need to be able to easily go back and reassess how often those slices were taken from the original object. Um, So the first time I prepared an image for this, I just did it by hand, quote-unquote, which just took forever, you know, just sitting there and doing the same thing over and over again. Um, And this way, this is a grasshopper tool that lets me produce materials that I will then exercise in the studio towards a final uh, product. But it was so much much labor just to get the time-saving tool together I thought I would document <laughs> the tool itself, which is only a step on the way to this ultimate artistical. Uh, so the uh, the GIFs you guys were looking at um, are basically the animated equivalent of the sequential images that are going to play on a television while I make these long exposure photographs.
0: Could you describe, Taylor, a little bit about what Grasshopper's doing more?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll try to just cover the stuff that would be interesting to, li- to listen yes, to. But yeah, the, yeah, um, sure. <laughs> So what Grasshopper does is it, um, with this particular component, uh, uh, G-Ray, inserted, it doesn't have to go through the baking step. So it can just make renders based on sort of projected subsets of the model Mm -hmm. without Mm -hmm. ever having to drop down through this step that would require a whole bunch of steps by hand. Um, So if I I wind up with a workflow where I say, here's a 3D model I want to do, in 100 slices and then I try that in my system and it doesn't look right, I can just go back and say, well, let's try 120 instead. Yeah, and then I yeah, just yeah. have to wait for 10 minutes as opposed to doing something by hand for two hours. Yeah, that's cool. So hopefully it'll pay off as I go forward, but I probably plowed at least nine hours into this. huh. Uh-huh. So I'm, I'm going to have to save at least nine hours. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like I have to get to 10 before I break even. So that's, yeah. that'll be the big trick is to see yeah. if I get there.
0: I said I said slice like a ham, but really it's like a loaf of bread, right? It's because a they're often
1: mm-hmm. spiral cut. Yeah, I was yeah. I was feeling pedantic, but I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, It's more like a loaf of bread, not like a ham. Yeah, but. yeah, indeed. Yeah. So yeah, a little a little like even techier than normal. Um, but I was this this was one of the things I was describing earlier where I figured it out, and then I just needed to tell myself do not continue because. <laughs> you know like sit with that success for 12 hours before you get frustrated again yeah
2: i'm just kind of trying to like wrap my head around it because i'm not a very um techie kind of person
1: come on like mixing your own pigments out of brick from a burned down building uh-huh. you're not a yeah, techie that's person
2: like, that's like old school chemistry this it's not like uh-huh. you know uh-huh. i'm not living in the future over here uh-huh. okay uh- okay
1: <laughs> fair enough carry <Curious. laughs>
2: on but uh, I'm understanding it in like a, in something that I use a lot is like I like batch process like photos. So mm-hmm. yep. so this is yep. kind of like automating all of your steps so you don't have to click like resize or like whatever every time. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Yeah, like like recording actions in Photoshop. For yeah,
2: example. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's how I'm relating to it myself.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I mean, no,
1: no, that's that's exactly the thing, and, okay. and I think the the interesting pro- like. To show it done, you know, suggests that I kind of figured it out, and I think to a certain extent I did, but this was a huge mind-bender for me, because part of it has to do with, um, like, running a command and then having to tell the computer based on the number of total slices it's created, because if you think about the two opposite sides of the torus, at some slices you're going to have two circles, and that's going to represent one plane. Mm -hmm. So you actually need to find a way to make a a list of sets, and then you're basing the total number of slices on the number of sets as opposed to the number of closed circles that come out of this thing. And then that math has to feed back into the number of total frames which also needs to play into the math that gives you the frames per second. I, like, let me tell you, man, like my brain was totally, was like leaking out of my ear at the end. And I had my my student Allison working with me in a totally separate project sitting right next to me. And so I was like, I'd look over at her and then I'd keep looking at this. And frankly, I'm amazed that I got this done. But Chris <laughs> Riley, next time, next time I'm going to be, t- I'm just going to be blowing up your phone so you can just do this work for me. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's really interesting to me how the the grasshopper setup like looks like a like a motherboard for a machine or something. Yeah. Like. Yep. Sure. It's not how I would expect like a sort of like a digital rendering command to look.
0: Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Have it doesn't look like a big seen... chunk of code. It looks like. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. right, and and I think that that beadwork um... or something. Yeah. that visualization makes it kind of makes it all possible. Have you guys seen the Manhattan style of wiring before?
2: No. Mm-hmm. Here, hang
1: on. I'm going to find a link for you to send. So um, my understanding is that this is just based on the notion of sort of streets and avenues and so on that you'll find in New York. I mean, you know, you could find it in a lot of other cities, but there's this idea that um, you send everything out at right angles and it's all it's like the electronic parts are hooking into streets. Um, mm. Rob, I know you in particular are going to totally nerd out about this. But mm. if you look at the link I posted and go down to the fifth image, I think it's a really great example where there's no breadboard. There's a circuit that's just made out of components and, um, and wire. And that's it. Mm. It's just it's, it's so beautiful. <laughs> Are you seeing what I'm seeing, Rep? Oh
0: yeah! Wow.
1: That that one where it's captioned. This is actually a USB AVR programmer. Make sure I... it's got like a like a pink background with an ISCP. Um. Yes. Or ICSP and a, a header.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Wow. Yep. Jeez.
1: Anyway, so just more examples of like figuring out how to put something together logically and how the visual metaphor can help with um, non-visual articulation of the idea or the mm-hmm. system.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's cool.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. Taylor, right on. That's awesome. Thanks
1: gang. Yeah. 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 Let's take a look at Amy's work. Yeah. Okay. Uh,
0: It looks like there's a book called Periscope. <laughs> uh, Although
1: it's it's almost like a DVD
0: case. It does look. Like, are are yeah. those pages? I can't quite tell. It's a really great cover. It's a white covered book, yeah. and it almost looks like an an iChat style interface where on the right hand side there's a word bubble coming out of the right edge that says Periscope. Almost on, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and on the left side there's a a thought bubble style um blob that looks like a little submarine. It's really great.
1: Yeah, the 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 little ellipses you get when somebody starts to write to you and forgets and then you yes. um, with growing anxiety <laughs> wait for the, the thought to be completed. But yes. um yeah the the uh it's as my students would say it's a very clean aesthetic. And I always mm. I always give them shit for using that term <laughs> so loosely but it's um <laughs> She, it's the kind, it's the kind of thing, you know, when you have something that's so simple that you're referring to, it makes it that much more important if you are imitating it, that you get it exactly right. And she's got it so on the money, right down to the fact that the center ellipses or the center dot in the ellipses is slightly lighter than the other two. Unless, am I just having a stroke over here, uh, Rob, or are you picking
0: that up as well? That's right. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. So let's take a look inside, shall we? So we have what looks to be, yeah, a text message conversation. Taylor, do you want to take maybe one side and I'll take the other? Yeah, do you want blue it. or or gray? What I'll do you prefer? Gray.
1: <clears throat> right, I'm like, okay, how about working with the sea around an obstacle? Right. But then I'm like, what does that look like? A.K.A. I'm freaking out because it has to be done by next Thursday.
0: <laughs> okay, we can do it. Can it be literally anything? Yeah. What about a book and doesn't have to be art how does page turning act the same way as a periscope oh yes that's my bitch right <laughs> hmm. and spiral bind it before I literally die yeah, I will. LMAO J oh no hang on. is
1: that laughing my ass off Japan JP means
0: <laughs> I don't know what JP means either.
1: Um, I was also thinking about how I can turn a tunnel book into a periscope. <laughs> Get into it, Rob. Get into it. Hmm.
0: <laughs> hmm. 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 Okay. <laughs> oh, bitch. Come on, Rob. <laughs> Come on. Do it again that's with feeling. That's, that's all I got. Come on. <laughs>
1: oh, Oh, bitch. <laughs> And I'm like, what would that be about?
0: Right, LMAO. Okay, the obvious thing, water. Second, all I think about is DW spying on Arthur with a periscope LMFAO. What else?
1: Right, LOL. So I'm going to go <laughs> out on a limb and say that I was the Amy in that exchange. I could oh, be wrong. Interesting. Maybe. And then who's this other character? You know, Amy was just talking about teaching... Um, Nate Carter, our uh, our friend in the fabrication facility at work, to um, to use um, uh, underage slang. Okay, so shall we take a look at the video? Yeah. and see where we're at. Uh, let
0: me know when you've got it up. Ready? Three, two, Three, one, two, one, play. Go. Oh, flip book! Flip Ooh, book! Cool.
1: Oh, so that's why the pages didn't really look like pages because they had those really dark edges.
0: Yeah. Okay, gotta watch so, that again. <laughs> it's like, what? Oh, I know what it is now. <laughs> yeah, let's watch it.
1: Well, again. she's somebody. Presumably, Amy is pulling yes a tissue out of a tissue box, and then kind of presenting it to the screen where the instant message is taking place.
0: Yeah, there's like a oh, it's like a video frame, is because like it pans right. the camera pans oh, the right. tissue box
1: over. Yeah, to I the guess I've the never screen. really seen a flipbook pan before. That's, that's amazing.
0: Great. Wow, yeah, it's really good. Mm. And many, yeah, the um, how many pages do rate... you think that is, Taylor? I mean, pocket? it's
1: only so the video is twelve seconds, but then the person who's playing it kind of plays it like an instrument a little bit, where um, there's a sort of longer, like the pause between the Kleenex coming out and panning uh-huh. over to the monitor uh-huh. is it's actually extended. Um, which kind of gets me into this whole, like, I, th- I really like this idea of performing a flip book that has variable uh,
0: frame yeah. rates. Yeah. That's like pretty an great. Yeah.
1: Well, before we, we jump yeah. in here with Amy, I, I want to acknowledge how um, kick-ass the product is. You know what I mean? Like, yes, amazing. This is a super finished, I mean, it reads is really highly polished. And one of the things that I, I love about that status is that, the object kind of es- reaches escape velocity. And then if there's anything I don't understand about it, I feel like it's totally my fault. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like once the object has a certain amount of authority like that, you're just like, well, that's got to be something.
2: One of my best friends, um, we met in grad school. And we're kind of always just like bouncing art ideas off of each other. She also works as like a shop tech. So our, mm. our message thread is either... Helping each other fix presses or bouncing art off of each other. Um, yeah, for sure. So I was like, "Girl, I need help." <laughs> and um, uh-huh. so we we start having this conversation about, "Okay, what is what is periscope? What's the theoretical meaning of periscope? What else could periscope mean?" Um, and throughout the the text of the conversation, we come up with I think four or five different projects for Periscope. Um, but as we say in the conversation, they're all a little bit too much. It's a little bit mm-hmm, too much mm-hmm. to do in two weeks.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, the The tissue, the flip book part, is, um, it, <laughs> it is in response to a very over-the-top uh, narration of a children's story idea I had that made her want to cry. <laughs> and so she sent a video. It's literally just like a three-second video of her grabbing a tissue and like sort of flourishing it. Um,
0: yeah, that's awesome.
2: And I was yeah. I was kind of struggling with like, well, like I wanted to make it into a book, um, but then like how do I incorporate the video? And I just like, I'm just really averse to QR codes. Um, oh, yeah. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, still don't really understand how they work. And I've never been like, oh, I really need to scan that QR code. Um, So I dove into the world of flipbooks, which is kind of funny because um, Taylor's splicing is a little bit, feels a little bit like what I was doing all week, which was Uh (laughs) I had to like figure out a way to export all the frames and then like batch process all of them and Make sure that they were printed in the right place on the paper, all that stuff.
0: Yes, um, yes. There are
2: 104 yeah. pages of the flipbook section. Uh huh. From a three-second yep. video. Yep. Um. Yeah, and I I really uh, let go and let like God with that one because I didn't test it out before I printed it. I was it just like, nice. it yeah. must work if you just stack all the frames on top of each other.
1: I uh-huh, uh-huh. can get behind that method. Rob just last time was talking about those great um, hidden paintings on the edges of books. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. and, and it's forage it's painting. cool how you're, I'm sorry, say again? It's
2: called fore-edge painting. Oh. oh,
1: what's what's the term? forage for, I, for edge. Been, forage Fore-edge. Oh, yes. fore is the
2: technical term for that part of the book.
0: That's so cool. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, so that, I mean, the fact oh. that these things just kind of come up as if planned. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah,
0: that's really cool.
2: Yeah, so the book talks a lot about periscopes, but it's also just it's also kind of a a testament to friendship and uh, <laughs> you know using friends to help navigate around obstacles.
1: Yeah, yeah Amy, yeah. it it turned out the treasure was friendship. It oh, turned luck. out the whole time. <laughs>
2: the answer was right in front of me.
0: You just gotta believe. Yeah. See. <laughs> so you but you also had to lay the book out like a chat session.
2: Yeah, which is harder than I thought it would
0: be. Yeah, really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um and that it's
1: vertical or what's what was the difficulty about? it?
2: No, it's that um so I I went back and forth with like, well, I could work with screenshots and clean them up and try and get them, you know, looking decent enough to print or I'm going to have to like rebuild iMessage from the ground mm-hmm. up in like Illustrator. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, which entails like downloading the proprietary font and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was just even though it's like I think it's only like eight pages of actual iMessage. Um, mm-hmm. just building all of that from the ground up was just a lot. And it loses um like if you look at the text pages or if you look at mm-hmm. your iMessage, um, the bubbles like they have like an ombre effect. So the ones at the top are lighter and the more current ones are darker. Oh, right. yeah. And so just yep. like applying all it. of that like illustration uh, was just too much. So I actually did just screenshot from my phone um, and then like just cleaned it up as best I could. Fixed fixed a bunch of things. And um, yeah, it doesn't look too bad printed.
0: That is amazing. I never noticed that, that the text at the top of my screen is is lighter the the coloring of the word bubbles are lighter right than the than at the bottom yep that's great that's wow that's deep is so, it, rob you got a video here i have a video Yes.
1: okay three two one go all right rob using the tried and true um Circular saw and a full sheet of plywood, to with a little guide. Because um,
0: why didn't you want to do this on your table saw, Rob? I don't have enough outfeed room to run a full sheet. Oh, got it. Yeah, or enough infeed room.
1: <laughs> Amy, what do you think? Is that the cheap stuff, or is that some Baltic birch we're rocking right there?
2: Oh, it looks like looks like a chudo ply.
1: Yeah, I think it's. <laughs> <laughs> That's a yeah uh, ply. That wow. looks
2: like a yeah.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Let me tell you, you're talking to the right people here, Rob.
0: It's 11-ply Baltic birch in the house right there.
1: Bing. I know that this thing is in fast mo, but I um, I love those little circular saws that are battery-operated. You feel like it's running off like a double A. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we going for, yep, some interior cutouts where you're doing that great little drop-in.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, plunge cuts, yeah. Shout-out to YouTube for my, reminding me I could do that. Doing what? Do what? Like do plunge cuts. Oh Am I going to have to route this hole out? It's going to be so messy.
1: Yeah, for those that aren't in the know, it's where you take the saw and introduce the guide to the surface of the wood and then drop the saw down into the uh, board so that you don't have to cut in from the outside.
0: Yes, yeah, so you can cut like the donut hole in the donut. Yep. Yep. I'm really into donuts right now.
1: <laughs> that is a big-ass square. I've never seen a square that big. Yeah, it's a 12-inch carpenter square. I
0: love that thing. Oh.
1: Oh, you run died. out of battery. Battery
0: died again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Rob, for for shame, you should use the square for only uh, exclusively.
0: Yeah, our, our previous guest um, Tim Tim Sway ha, has made his own measuring tool, and he gave oh, us
2: nice. Yeah. yeah,
1: so he's cutting two windows. So that suggests that it's something that's going to be through. Uh, Dare I um, guess that this is going to be a dog-oriented device, like a a doghouse or something like that. Just going to throw that out there.
2: Mm -hmm. I like the sped-up sound of all the tools. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You've
1: got a fancy little Japanese saw there, whatever that thing is. Being a very conscientious gluer, really... Mm -hmm. Edge to edge. coating that surface. Yeah, no... uh, okay so we just cut uh, two holes just so that we can get double thickness on the uh... so what are we making that has to have like mm-hmm. that looks like it's more than an inch thick or maybe it's just an inch
0: it, right it's, yeah, it's slightly it's about inch and three-eighths
1: that's a pretty beefy little uh, fellow there I'm still feeling a doggy door or something Amy but what do you think
0: I'll say this is not not dog related hmm.
1: I'm gonna keep on guessing dog related Rob <laughs> okay we got, we got two minutes to go <laughs> I think it's a dog. Uh, got, got a lot of clamps. Happy for you. Now we're gonna inset some kind of power inverter. Oh, you got a little oh. jack there, a little scissor jack. This a little. Oh, he's motorizing his scissor jack so he can lift something in and out of a table. Oh, oh yes, look at that. So that the, the sewing, sewing machine, machine
2: table. Can,
1: yeah. See, nice. this is kind of related to hydraulics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it could be faster, but the effect is worth it.
0: Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. That's the. I was nervous about how I didn't want to like over torque it or make it go crazy, so I just put it on the lowest one of the yeah. really the lowest setting just to kind of see how it would go.
1: Have it burst through the tabletop with like <laughs> yeah. a, a fog effect.
0: <laughs> that would be. So
1: cool. <laughs> Yeah, so he's got this great little jukey uh, scissor lift um where you uh you rotate a screw and then that um is converted into vertical motion for a platform. And this can be used to automate the um emergence of a sewing machine from a tabletop, presumably. So I'm hoping you're gonna have like a just like a big ass button that you can just nail on the side of your <laughs> mm-hmm. side of your desk and that thing a lift on up <laughs> that
0: that leads me to my so yes yeah, so a periscope was our challenge right oh yes of course and so I was like immediately immediately I had the idea I was like oh it'll be like, like it's like a periscope like a periscope like the sewing machine can mm-hmm. come out from underneath and I've always wanted to make a sewing machine table and I need to make one because I don't have a great place for my sewing machine other than my regular table which is always filled with junk so uh, like I wanted it to be like a kind of standing desk kind of operated style sewing machine. You yeah, know, mm-hmm. like that like you can push a button and have the sewing machine come up. And this, this goes back to those, like what is it we like about making artworks? The aha moment was after four solid nights of searching what could be the thing, it finally came to me that motorcycle mechanics have this little scissor lift that nope. lifts mm-hmm. 14 inches up from the bottom to lift their motorcycle off the ground, just enough to lift the wheels off. And, at the, and I was like, Oh my God, that's the thing because it has to be yeah. heavy duty enough. Right. That like it has to be heavy enough to support a heavy sewing machine. I also didn't want to spend like $180 on a standing desk or something crazy, you know? And so for 30 bucks, I got a motorcycle scissor lift that lifts exactly the right amount, 14 inches, which is what I need to get the, the sewing machine through the hole in the table and up to the top. Nice.
2: This is inspiring me to build a new sewing machine table for my sewing machine. Oh, awesome. Because I have this old like 1920s cast yes. iron machine yes. and it's in Those are like so a cool. treadle. Yeah, yeah, it's in its original cabinet when it has like the knee treadle. Um yep. so it's it's been like wired um and redone a few times, but mm-hmm. it has it like flips under. It's like one of those flip top ones. Yes, and like yep. the the top yep. flips open, and the bottom like door pops out and becomes the leg support. And then it has like all these little tiny drawers underneath for like bobbins yeah. and yep, knickknacks yep. and stuff. But the problem yep. is, it's built for like a woman from like the nineteen twenties, uh-huh. like that <laughs> never left the house or something. And, Uh like, I have to sit, like, side saddle and just, (laughs) like, Uh work with uh, the small space that I have. Yeah.
0: Um, yep.
2: So it was really
0: interesting looking in those, like, historically, like, the historical sewing tables, like yours, you know? Yeah. It's really cool. Like, really ingenious, some of them, with the fold-out, like, um, extensions and stuff, which Mm -hmm. is really cool. Yeah, and I want I wanted to do that like lay it flat on its side and then have it you know rotate up like that. Mm-hmm. But it's the modern sewing machines can be so heavy. Yeah. It's like I don't know how I would like it would where yours is even though it's cast iron it's just quite a, less moving parts no motor
2: kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I think there's a lot of parts of that technology that's pretty much the same as it used to be, right? On on a previous episode we talked about that bobbin winder. Which effectively yeah. really is just like this sort of weird Dave and Buster's, uh-huh. um, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, belt driven. Is it? Do all Dave and Buster's have that thing where all their fans drive off the same belt?
0: Yeah, I know what you're talking I, about.
1: I feel like I've been to know. Dave and Buster's once, and uh-huh. um, and I was complete. The only thing I enjoyed there was looking at the way the fans were driven. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I I feel like the um, I wish I had gotten into sewing earlier. I think I was kind of squarely in the um, in the camp where that was, or in the generation where there was still a really gendered thing. So I did a little bit of it in high school in some kind of home ec class, but there's really um, like the first time you wear clothes that you made on the street when other people can see you, and you realize that they're not all like laughing at you or running away screaming, and you you, you feel like you're getting away with something, like. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> have <yeah>. you guys <laughs> made yeah. your own clothes before? <laughs> I, I have not.
2: I no, No, I haven't.
1: I no, I, I can't do. recommend it enough. I mean, yeah. particularly like a skirt, for example, is so simple. So it's something that you can just knock out. And and when I say made my clothes myself, I mean, the thing that I was wearing was heavily, heavily influenced by my colleague, Julie Feller. But I, I really felt like I, um, I was walking around in the nude wearing my own clothes. Uh-huh. And <laughs> I just couldn't believe that other people couldn't tell.
0: Uh-huh. It's like a fight club kind of thing or something, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I have a secret. Secret club.
2: <laughs> I do want to make my own jumpsuit, Taylor. Yeah. Yes.
1: So. Oh, yeah. I hope you will join us. Yeah, the, um, we just had uh, Abigail uh, Glenn Lathbury from the Jumpsuit Project come through on Monday to talk to my class, and um, she runs workshops all over, and she has a bunch of instructive videos, so we're going to make this happen for sure.
2: Cool.
0: You can find photos of our finished projects over at our project site, which is projects.opposablepodcast.com. We also have links in our show notes, and we post cool stuff in our Instagram account, which is opposable underscore podcast. If you share an episode on social media or rate us on iTunes or some other cool thing to let people know about the podcast, we will mail you an opposable thumb sticker. Just let us know over at Instagram, which is opposable underscore podcast, or at our email address, which is opposable at gmail.com dot com a shout out to the mighty wolf mask who created our neon and wrestlers logo uh and we'd like to give a shout out to our patreon our top patreon supporters which is adam Mayer, deb Tatra, blondie hacks nick Kantar, walter katundu and david bellhorn if you'd like to join them in our league of patreon supporter badasses please go to patreon.com slash opposable thumbs to sponsor us anything you donate really helps our podcast is dedicated to prefer- Providing a harassment-free experience for everyone, regardless of race, gender, age, sexual orientation, disability, physical appearance, body size, knowledge of subject matter or religion or lack thereof. We actively support an inclusive environment and we want you to be a part of it. Dear guest, Amy, do you have any anything you'd like to talk about? Any shows coming up or things you'd like to let people know about, whether it's something you've made or something someone else has
2: done? If you are in Chicago, you can see um, you can see Fata Morgana Press at the MCA Family Day on Saturday, April 13th. Um, Ooh, awesome. We'll be doing a cool paper making workshop. Um, it's a drop in event um, from 11 to 3 p.m. Um, and then we're throwing our fourth um, birthday party at the press um, Sunday, April 14th, the day after the MCA Day, from 1 to 6 p.m. And it's Prince themed. Prince Rogers (laughs) Nelson. So we'll be printing Prince Prince.
0: Prince Prince.
1: Yeah. Ouch. That's good. Uh, I don't have specific events to talk about, but I do have this um, really amazing um, and really uh, sad story I was following because I've been trying to make sure to be really responsible in class about uh, introducing my students to new non-toxic chemicals. So we've been really... Going out of her way to try to get, um, you know, low toxicity casting rubbers and um, lead-free pewter and this kind of thing. Um, but I was reading this interesting story about Karen Wedderhan. Uh, Wedderhan, do you, do you guys know the story? Um, no. She's a chemist from Dartmouth who died in the '90s, and she was um, she was a specialist in toxic metal exposure. So she was working with this uh, really, really amazingly toxic material called dimethyl mercury. Um, that apparently has very few reasons for existing. Like you synthesize it specifically for doing certain kinds of operations or tests or whatever. And so she was following the, you know, she was an expert and she was following the protective um, understanding at the time, which is your glove, then you have, you know, the material um, kept within this case that you're accessing through gloves and so forth. But she spilled two drops of it on her hand and her hand was inside of a glove, but according to the understanding at the time, it, you still had a couple of minutes before it could penetrate through the glove to, you know, go ahead and finish up. So instead of freaking out, when she got it near her hand, she just went ahead and took a couple of minutes to to clean up her station. But that was apparently it just went right through the glove. And then just those two drops got enough into her system that it killed her like six months later or something like that. Oh, God. Whoa. Um and apparently because of it you know they had to reevaluate what safe handling was and now they just tell people just to never manufacture it for any reason uh because it's just so dangerous to work with so it's it's just a really interesting story to read about if you work as the three of us do occasionally with materials that can be toxic to get a sense of what the um overall scale of toxicity is and how you know sometimes you are following every single recommendation and that's still not enough. Mm-hmm. You know, pretty, pretty interesting story. So check it out. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I didn't mean to bring it down, but you know, so,
2: Light note. somebody <laughs> that,
1: uh, somebody, yeah. Yeah. I, I find myself, um, definitely super fascinated with, you know, like, uh, like there's some classic, I think I might've talked about this in the podcast before, but the accents surrounding, um, certain, um, radioactive cores that they were experimenting with in the dawn of the nuclear age, like at university of Chicago, you know, the whole thing about tickling the dragon's tail. Yes. Yeah. I you know the story?
2: I don't think so.
1: (laughs) Where they had these two, these two hemispheres of fissile material and they used to just, um, when they were doing experiments, like change their spacing from one another, just with a screwdriver. So you just stick a screwdriver in there and kind of like push it around. But if they come into physical contact, they would release a burst of radiation that was so powerful that it would just effectively kill everyone in the room. Yeah. Um, so there was this particular set of cores known as the demon cores because they had, I think, been involved in two accidents where somebody's slip up with a screwdriver just led to a number of fatalities you know, on the spot, or rather within a couple of days of the accident. But if you're interested in that, tickling the dragon's tail this is this very evocative okay. term for another type of science experiment that can really go wrong uh, really quickly yes. and and that's all I'll say cuz I don't want to <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I don't want to bring it down at the end of the podcast but some other interesting history to read about I'll I'll post the link
2: cool
0: i have one very nerdy thing i've been into which is um i learned about at work which is uh like uh atmospheric oxygen you know like the, the stuff we breathe on the planet mm-hmm yep and they don't really there's you know theories about um how we became you know bathed what they call bathed in free oxygen meaning like oxygen is just loosely around for us to Mm -hmm. consume um but there's a lot of weird there's like a lot of discussion and conflicting time frames about like when it happened and like what Mm -hmm. the causes were so like what the real cause of it was and the timing. And of course the way they have to do this, right. Is they like core the earth and look at like weird layers of sediment and stuff and then try to extract like (laughs) what all that was about. And, uh, it seems just super hard. And so I've been nerding out about trying to people who are trying to figure out how that happened. And there's, um, there's a guy at Caltech, uh, Woody Fisher and he runs this geobiology group at Caltech. And so I've been obsessed with reading his website because he has some cool articles about his theories about how we became, how oxygen became present on the earth. Billions of years ago, some crazy shit happened. That's my summary. (laughs) (laughs) Mike Dratt. Yep. (laughs) I think it's time Taylor to hear what our next challenge is. Yeah. Please lay it on us there, Amy.
2: All right. Um, so, I was thinking something that I'm super interested in. And funny enough, you both sort of just brought up. Um, how about chemistry? Oh, hey. nice. Awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. Now I get to go make some chemicals that will bleed through my glove. <laughs> yeah, Rob, your degrees
1: <laughs> are a little closer than mine in this regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I'll have to, I'll have to play it safe. Maybe I got some. Uh, Oh, I won't. I won't give it away. But I already have some ideas.
0: If only we knew someone who was experimenting with photography processes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> We're both going to be texting
0: Amy for advice. Yeah, but like right? Amy. So that's fine. I'll,
2: <laughs> I'll be on retainer.
0: Yes, great, right right on. great. Yeah. Thank you. This one sounds great. Yeah, that's really good. Cool. cool. Wow, Amy, yeah. thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, yeah thanks, thanks for lot. having
2: me.
1: Yeah, your book so
0: is fun. really, really great.
2: Thank you.
1: I know. I I hope I get a chance to look at it in person. Will you bring it around the school?
2: Yeah, I'll bring it around. And then if, uh, if you both want to send me your address and an email, I can send you copies. Yes. Oh, damn.
1: Yes. I wasn't even searching for that, but I, but I really am glad it happened. Yeah. The video (laughs) painting flip book
0: is going to be the bomb. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: I can't
2: get away from making additions. So
1: I will. I hope I, I hope I voiced you correctly. Um, they captured your aiminess. <laughs> it was a really
2: great performance and exactly what I wanted to happen. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Good. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> we aim to please.
0: Yeah. Chemistry. <laughs> e. We have our work cut out for us. All right, Rap, let's do it.
1: if I do